The last 12 years have been absolutely unbearable. A day hasn't passed by I didn't want to die. Oh, Jehovah, this sickness is more than I can bear. What have I done to deserve this? Just to have a moment to go out and have coffee with friends. Not the fear of touching someone. Those awful physicians, or should I call them crooks? They've taken all my money and left me worse off than I was before. And the looks, those awful looks. I wish for a moment those self-righteous individuals could experience my life. They wouldn't last a week without committing suicide, much less 12 years. You said in Psalms 147.3, You would heal my broken heart and bind up my wounds. I know my faith has weakened over the last 12 years, and I have absolutely lost the joy of my salvation. But I know this, this cannot be my end. Some good news today. I met a man who had a shriveled hand. He told me about an encounter he had with this man called Jesus. How he completely cured him just by touching him. I know our leaders called him a liar and a fake, but at this stage I'm wondering who the fakers really are. Tomorrow I'm trying to get an audience with him. They told me that he was very kind and accepting. Early the next morning, I went to town to see if I could meet with Jesus. When I got there, it was too late. He was already surrounded by a huge crowd. All of a sudden, Jairus, one of the leaders of the synagogue, came to bow down before Jesus. There is no way he would have done this unless Jesus is the real Son of God. It was then and there I decided, I'm going to touch him or die trying. I pushed and I pushed just to get past the people. It was the most painful thing I have ever experienced. I found myself in reach of Him. And with everything I had, I leaped forward and touched the hem of His garment. What happened next was indescribable. Power surged through my body. And at that moment, the bleeding stopped. Strength came into my body. Years of suffering were over. Years of embarrassment, over. Years of isolation and loneliness, over. Blessed be the one and glory to the King. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen, amen, amen. Wow, wow. The woman with the issue of blood. What an incredible testimony. I feel like we can just go home now. That was amazing. Your pastor wrote that. Didn't he do well? He did such an incredible job. He didn't know he had a, uh, could be a writer-director. Look out, Spielberg. You got it. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Jamie. I hope we get that chance. It is an honor and a privilege to get to be with you this morning. My amazing hubby traveled all weekend in Columbia, so when we knew that trip was coming, he said, I'll have you speak and uh, in the middle of the series we're in called The Way I Saw It. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about a centurion with great faith, and then last week we talked about a woman at a well whose life was transformed, and then it came time to talk about a woman with issues. And this is when he gave me the message. I was a little bit concerned. How come I don't get to talk about the person who was in charge of everybody? I want to be that person. I'm kidding. So I get to talk about a woman who had an issue 
for 12 years. But what an amazing woman, we don't know her name, but what we can learn from her today can impact our world and our life in so many ways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the community of believers here at Church on the Hill. Thank you so much for people that love you, that love their families, that love their community. Father, we've come today with our hearts open to learn more. Father, for you to touch our lives in a big way. Lord, I just ask that no matter what I say out of my mouth, that by the time it makes it to their ears, Lord, that you have taken the word of God and and transformed it in a way that it reaches each and every person's heart in an individual way. Father, we just give you glory and we thank you for the mighty, powerful name in the name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We, we t- we're, today we're talking about a woman, the woman with the issue of blood, this unnamed woman who pushed through all of her challenges and her life was transformed in an instant, in a minute. Our scripture today comes from the book of Mark chapter 5, and I'll start by reading that. It says in Mark chapter 5, 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free. From your suffering. One moment, one touch, one encounter, and she was free. That she encountered the living God in that moment and was free. You know, I, I think it's such a beautiful story that I'd like for us to take a minute and kind of set up, kind of set the scene, so to speak, of where we are in this moment. Jesus is in Capernaum, and Capernaum, although he was born in Nazareth, Capernaum kind of became his ministry home base, so to speak. It was the place that they would return. It's where we know that Simon Peter's family was from. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, also one of the disciples, were all from Capernaum. Uh, we just returned from Israel a few weeks ago, so we got to visit the ruins at Capernaum and see these places. Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, a pretty large sea, but one that you can see across to the other side. It's it's a large lake, so to speak, about 8 by 13 miles. And so Capernaum sits at the top of that. And as, as Jesus began to do miracles, more and more people began to come to Capernaum. We see that Jesus laid hands on Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. He touched a leper, 
something that was not done in those days, and he became healed. He became clean. He, he laid hands on a blind man, and he was healed. Over and over, people began to hear stories that when Jesus touches you, you are healed, and you are better. So much so, the crowds were so big that Jesus and his disciples decided to get away, and they sail across the lake together to uh, Gerasene, which is where there's a cliff. Actually, if you're on the Sea of Galilee, there's only one spot where there's a sheer cliff. It's there that they meet a man that has a thousand demons they call legion. And he casts the demons out of this man into a herd of pigs. The pigs then take off running off the cliff. And that's why they really believe it happened in that spot. Because it's the only place in this massive lake where you see a sheer cliff that goes off into the lake. But as Jesus and his disciples return to Capernaum, people begin to see them coming. You can see that boat coming from across the water. And crowds begin to come to the lake. Because what's going to happen next? Maybe some for the show, maybe some for healing, maybe some to learn. But the, the city basically goes out to the waterfront to see what's going on. When Jesus lands and he gets off the boat, a man named Jairus is there. He's one of the, the synagogue leaders. And he says, my daughter's dying. Will you please come and pray for her? Jesus agrees to grow, go. So basically the whole crowd begins to proceed to Jairus's house. And that's where he meets this woman along the way. This woman, uh, history states that was probably had been living in the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's about 30 miles to the north. If you remember, if you were here a few weeks ago and Pastor Adam talked about the gates of hell, he talked about an area of pan worship where basically it was like a little Rome. All the glories of Rome, all the temples, all of the things that you could get in Rome had been moved to this small area. It was like a, an, a, just an, an example of all Rome's glory. Many of the, the Herods and the people would build their temples there. So it was at that place that this woman, it's believed, lived for years. She would have had access to every uh, medical procedure and medical opportunity of the time. Roman medicine at that moment had over a thousand cures for ailments. And we don't know how many of those she tried, but we know for 12 years she tried and she tried to get better. She spent all the money she had, and it says that instead of getting better, she got worse. We don't know how old she was. Maybe she had been married. Maybe she had kids. But for 12 years, she was what the Jews would have called unclean. Because of this issue that she had, she was unclean. She was forbidden to participate in the worship of her, in her community in her synagogue. She was forbidden to participate in community life. So whatever family life she had known prior to these 12 years, all that stopped. She was completely isolated for 12 years. No more, no more uh, traditions, no more festivals, no more celebrations. She couldn't even, someone couldn't even sit where she had been sitting. So no more on the couch snuggling, binge watching This Is Us. All that's gone in her life when she had this issue. Isolation and loneliness for 12 years. And now as even we hear that she spent all that she had. So society has pushed her out. Now her resources are gone and she is hopeless. But then she hears that in Capernaum, there's a man. That this man, when he touches you, you get better. And so what Roman doctors couldn't do, what Jewish doctors couldn't do, she said, if I can get to Capernaum and this man will touch me, I can get better. It was a 30-mile journey. I, I don't know about you guys. I didn't do the 26-mile marathons or anything. I'm more of a 5K'er myself. But, but 30 miles, not just 30 miles in a healthy body, but 30 miles 
with a, tormented by sickness in her body. And you could imagine how excruciating. I have family members that, that have um, that deal with things like lupus. And something that's a normal activity for all of us is excruciatingly painful. So the weakness that she dealt with and the challenges she dealt with as she made a 30-mile journey to get to Capernaum because she said, I have to get to this man. Then she gets into the city and the crowds are enormous. There's no way to get to Jesus. There's definitely no appointment. There's no healing line where you can stand in, stand in line hoping for your moment and your time. But she has to break through. She has to push through. So, so we have Jesus coming into the city with his disciples and Jairus, a synagogue leader, and this woman who's pushing through. Now, there's a challenge here. This woman's unclean. This woman's not allowed to be around anyone else. If she's discovered, she's in big trouble. She has now made everyone in her presence unclean. All the parties that were planned that day, the visit to Jairus's house for his daughter stops everything ceases. Not only is she jeopardizing her own life, she is jeopardizing the cleanliness, the, the traditional cleanliness of everyone around her. But those things don't matter because in that moment, she's tried everything that is to be tried and none of it, none of it has worked. And so she reaches through and she reaches out. And when realizing that there's no way that she's going to get hands laid on her, she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Now, I know in the video, he kind of had this fringe, frayed kind of shawl thing going on, but it really was different in Jewish times. In Jewish times, the hem of his garment would have had tassels on it. On every corner, there would have been a tassel. The tassels had the exact number of threads that existed in the law, in the book of Moses. And if you were a man of stature, if you were um, a, a spiritual man, so to speak, then you had a shawl that had these tassels on it. So she began to say, if I can just touch that hymn, because that hymn had a tassel, and that tassel represented authority, it represented holiness, and it represented the power of God. And so in this moment, she's saying, I've got to get to just touch just that hem, just that edge of his garment. We, um, and that is what we see her do. She pushes through the crowd. She gets to that, and she touches. And Jesus says, stop. He stops everybody and says, who touched me? I love it. His disciples are like, seriously? You're going to ask who touched you? We're in a crowd here. You want to know who touched you? But Jesus knew that something had happened in that moment, that a miracle had taken place. And then the amazing thing about do I have any teachers in the room? What I love about teachers and being around educators is every moment is a moment to learn, right? So Jesus doesn't just heal. He stops and says, this is a moment that we need. Who, who, who touched me? Who touched me? I, I, need to, I need everybody to get it here. And, and she had a choice. She could have said, I'm not going to let everybody know what I did, that I'm even here. But, I'm gonna, but, I'm, but she comes to him and she bows at his feet and says, it was me. And she tells out the whole story. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go. And, and the testimony to everybody around, amen, that this woman's life was transformed because of this one moment and this one encounter with Jesus. But you know what's funny is we've all got issues, don't we? Sometimes we are dealing with sickness. Sometimes we're dealing with depression. But many, many of us carry around something that is a challenge every day of our lives. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's um, people that say, you know what, I'm, I'm just, this is just who I am. I'm just critical. I'm just this type of person. But, you know, the Lord came, and the, the freedom that we can find it, through the name of Jesus is here, and it's available. And it's what we can learn from her today. Amen? 
So if she were here, if she were sitting here, I think there's three things that she would tell us. And the first thing that I believe that with all my heart that she would say to us is there is a man. There is a man who can set you free. There is a man that has all the answers. And, and, and wisdom of man is a wonderful thing. But when all else fails, when we can't, then the answers don't come. There is a man, and that man is Jesus. And, and maybe you've tried it all, and you say, you don't understand. I've done every self-help that's out there. We've been to every marriage counselor that's there. I've tried and tried, and every day I try again. But when, you, when, when Jesus touches our lives, and when we reach out and touch Jesus, then something happens, and something is different. There is a man that makes everything okay, that heals the, the things inside of us that we aren't free from. You know, I, um, I love and honor um, many of my friends that have different beliefs and they have different religious convictions and different things, um, and I appreciate their devotion to that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And even if that's uncomfortable at times, we have to let people know that the name of Jesus, that the, the Son of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. And in a, in a world where it's, you know, where it's always important that we respect and that we, that we um, understand other people, we have to remember that the name of Jesus stands alone. Amen? The name of Jesus stands powerful. And that that power of encountering a living God changes our lives, and it changes our lives forever. And that's the first thing I think she would want us to know. The second thing I think that she would want us to know is that we have to press through until we touch Jesus, that we have to push through until we touch Jesus. She could have, so many times along the way, excuses could have, could have stopped her, and she could have said, it's just too far of a journey. The minute you get into town, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes if I can't find a parking space, I'm done. I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to go. We go find somewhere else. You know, you go to eat after Sunday, and if the wait's too long, you're like, how long's the wait? You know, you send the one person inside to ask how long the wait is, because if it's too long, it's okay. I'm, I, I don't feel like doing that. But she didn't let anything stop her. I mean, how big were the crowds before she's even coming into the town that she began to see, this isn't going to be the way I thought it's going to be. And, and yet she didn't let anything deter her. She didn't let anything stop her from saying, I'm done. And sometimes we have to get to that place of desperation where we're so tired of our issues. We're so tired. Are we here again, really? You know, you, you have that same fight that you always have, and you didn't mean to get there, but now we're here. We did it all. I, I, did, I said I wasn't going to open my mouth, and then I did, and here I am. But then we've got to say, but today can be different, and today I'm not going to stop until it gets better. Amen? Amen. We have to press through. You know, history doesn't record the quitters. History doesn't record the people that came into town and stopped and didn't decide that they wanted to get better. History records the people, the, the Jacobs that held on to God and said, we're going to wrestle this out and I'm not stopping until I'm different. The people that say, you know what, you may be sick of me, but I'm not quitting on this marriage and one of us is going to get, one of us is going to figure this out and both of us are going to figure this out and God's going to get the glory through it all. History doesn't record the ones who gave up. It records the ones, even if it's not by name, it records the people that said, we're not quitting. I'm not quitting on my child. I'm not quitting 
quitting on my dreams. I'm not quitting on the things that I believe God has in my heart. You know, there's a lot of people that if they would have quit, we wouldn't have even known their name by now. You know, Journey had it right, right? They said, don't stop believing. Yes, 80s all the way. Elvis was told that he should quit singing and become a truck driver. Van Gogh only sold one painting in his life, and that was to a friend. I think he felt sorry for him. Jack London's first book was rejected by publishers over 600 times. How many times do we try once, and when it doesn't work, we're like, never mind, I quit, because it's safer, isn't it? It's safer to quit than take a chance, and take a chance over and over again. Sony creator Akio Morita's first invention, the rice maker, how many of you own them? No one, because it burned rice every single time. He only sold 100 of them. Soshiro Honda was turned down by a job for a job by, to by Toyota, leaving him unemployed for months until he started making scooters in his garage. Colonel Sanders was already in his 60s when he had had his recipe turned down over a thousand times before it was finally franchised. Walt Disney was fired because he, quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Winston Churchill never won an election until he became prime minister. That's a testimony I choose not to have. Thank you. But when he says, never give in, never give in, never, 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 it came from a place of not quitting. It came from a place when I'm sure his friends were like, I'm not giving to this campaign because your last campaign, you lost. You're not, you don't have my support this time. But he never gave in, and he led his nation through a dark hour. Michael Jordan didn't make his high school, softball, high school basketball team his, softball year, his sophomore year because he was too short. Einstein didn't talk till he was four or read till he was seven. After his first audition, Sidney Poitier was told to stop wasting everyone's time and go back to washing dishes. Fred Astaire was told he couldn't sing, couldn't act, and only could dance a little. Emily Blunt stuttered so profusely as a teenager she could not hold a conversation. Harrison Ford was told he didn't have what it takes to be a star. And 27 different publishers rejected Dr. Seuss's first book. How'd you like to be one of those? Tyler Perry had a rough childhood. Physically and sexually abused growing up, he was kicked out of high school and tried to commit suicide twice. At 23, he moved to Atlanta and took up odd jobs as he started working on his stage career. In 1992, he wrote, produced, and starred in his first theatrical production. Perry put all his savings into the show, and it failed miserably. The run lasted just one weekend, and only 30 people came to watch. He kept up with his production, working more odd jobs and often sleeping in his car to get by. Six years later, Perry finally broke through, and on its seventh run, the show became a success. He's since gone on to a successful career as a director, writer, actor, and was even named by Forbes as the highest paid man in entertainment. He's quoted as saying this, It doesn't matter if a million people tell you what you can't do, or if 10 million people tell you no. If you get one yes from God, it's all you need. Amen? One yes from God. The persistent widow 
said, I, I've heard no and no and no over and over again, but all I need is a yes from this man. This man that when he touches people, he gets better. But her faith went even further because at that point, all the stories were, if he touches you, if he touches you. But she said, you know what? Forget it. I don't even need him to touch me. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to press through. We hear that term. Maybe you've heard an evangelist on TV say, press through to your breakthrough and different things like that. But what does that look like and what does that mean? I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to sit on my couch with a cup of coffee a lot of worship in the, my Bible and say, Lord, I don't have an answer right now, but I'm not getting up until the answer comes. Like we sang, Lord, I'm going to stay here because I need you to get through the fog, get through the cloudiness of my mind, all the noises, all the, the what ifs, all the questions, all of the challenges. And I just need to meet you, Jesus, right here, right now, wherever that is. Sometimes that's in our car before on our lunch break or wherever that is. Um, and we just have to say, Lord, I need to encounter you right now. That's why we have nights of worship and encounter retreats, because it provides those opportunities to say, I, I have issues, Lord. I have issues. I need a healing. I need freedom. I need my mind not to, ha- to deal with terror by night. I need you to set me free. And so I'm not going anywhere until I get that point, till I make that moment and encounter that moment with Jesus. I think the inventors of Spotify had no idea that they would help people meet Jesus. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't have that fancy Spotify. My kids have to help me with all that. All I know is that if I go in there and I pick one song that I hear Pastor Lance sing, that it plays a bunch of songs, and it's awesome. And I, just, and I just say, Lord, I need you in these moments. I need your wisdom. I don't have an answer to that question. I don't know the future. I don't know the way this is going to turn out. But I need you, and I need to encounter you in that moment. And that's what this woman did. She said, I'm not quitting until I touch Jesus. And the beautiful thing of that is point number three is that your miracle strengthens the faith of others. It's what she want, would want you to know, I believe, right now, is that your miracle strengthens the faith of others. In that moment when she was healed, she could have just snuck away. She could have had her own private, exciting moment, gone back to her own family and told them everything that happened. But in a crowd of strangers, she raised her hand and said, I'm better and I'm free, and I want to I say so. You know, people say, why do we have to go to small groups? What's the big deal about doing life with people? Because when the Lord sets you free, when he heals you, when he does something big in your life, and when you say, I'm free, God did a work in my life, the faith of everybody else in that room gets stronger. Think about that scenario. She was healed in that moment. Who's standing next to Jesus? Quite possibly it's Jairus, who's like, can we go can we get, my daughter is dying. Can we speed this up a little bit? Who cares who touched you? Let's get out of here. But Jesus says, no, stop. Who touched me? Meanwhile, here comes a messenger that says to Jairus, it's too late. She's dead. It's too late. You've wasted your time. It's over. And what does Jesus do? He looks at Jairus and he says, only believe. I would imagine he's, he's even referencing this woman who believed. Jesus didn't even have to have an act of, of reaching out and touching her. Her belief, her faith. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the faith of Jairus had to have been encouraged in that moment as he's like, let's, now let's go. Take your faith, believe, and believe that, that 
be, that she's going to be healed in that moment. So when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we're willing to say our marriage went through a really dark time, and not the vague way where you just kind of reference that it was kind of bad, but when you have that coffee with that person and you say, let me tell you what we've been through. Let me tell you what my life was like until Jesus came into my world. Then that person's faith is built because they say, my life can be different as well. I can survive after a tragedy. I can make it through. I can believe for a healing. It's so important that our miracle strengthens the faith of those in that room, and those around you and those in your life. Tell your coworker. Tell your coworker what God has done in your life. And it opens their heart to grow and to learn more. In two weeks, we have Miracle Weekend that's coming up. And one thing that makes our Miracle Weekend unique is you'll get to hear stories of amazing people right here in Church on the Hill and how God has touched their life. And that's, we do that on purpose because it builds all of our faith. It gives glory to, to the Lord. It celebrates the resurrection of our Savior. And it helps us remember that God is not a respecter of persons. That he wants to do miracles for all of us in all of our lives. Amen? That he, t- he wants to touch our hearts. And so Jairus' faith was, was strengthened. The faith that everyone was there the faith of the disciples. He's about to send the disciples out two by two. They won't have Jesus there to touch people and see them healed. They had to go in the belief and faith that the power of God was going to touch people. And in that moment, everyone's faith in the room is encouraged. And so, so many times we're, it's, we can get so discouraged and not want to and want to quit, and want to give in, and not want to press through until we see that answer. It's so much easier to quit sometimes. But like I said, history doesn't record the quitters. It records the Hannahs that said, I want a baby so bad. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to believe. And you can call me crazy, and you can tell me I'm loony, but I'm not going to give up until the answer comes. And this woman that was willing to press through, and the persistent widow, I love it. It seems to be women that are pretty persistent in the Bible, doesn't it? They're going to push through because they know, listen, I'm going to knock on this door and I'm going to keep on knocking until my answer comes. And you may be even having standing in the gap and having faith for someone else who their faith is weak, but your persistence and your faith can keep them strong. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we think about these people in the Bible and we learn their stories, don't quit and don't give up. If it's a dream, if it's a word from the Lord, your, your answer, your persistence is going to open doors even for others and people that you may never meet and may never know. But as we push through and we say, I'm going to push through the pain and I'm going to push through my circumstances and believe that God's going to come through, then I believe God is, has big things in store for all of us. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Father. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I just felt as I was praying and just preparing for this that, that there were different people in different scenarios that the Lord just wanted you to know, push through, don't quit. Maybe you do have a book that needs to be published, and maybe you've already had 100 no's. You know what? You haven't had 600 yet. Push through. Maybe there's a, there's a dream and there's something in your heart that you know the Lord said to just you, but everybody else says it's not possible. Maybe you've been dealing with chronic pain for a really long time. And so the things that everybody sees as normal life for you are excruciating. But the Lord put this story in the Bible so that you would know that there was a woman who wouldn't quit 
and wouldn't stop until God touched her life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I just pray for each and every beautiful individual in this room. Father, the dreams that are in their hearts, Father, even that have been there for for so long, Father, the the amazing uh, people, Lord, that may be dealing with chronic pain or chronic uh, depression or torment in their minds. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we have a promise that if we don't quit and we seek you with all of our hearts that you said we would find you, that, Lord, that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we can't see yet. So, Father, we hold out to faith and we hold out to hope, Lord, that the answer comes that you, Lord Jesus, are the healer, you are the answer, and you are the one that sets us free, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're in this place today, and the truth of the matter is that you're not a Christian. And that if you were to die today, you wouldn't spend eternity in heaven. Maybe you used to be a Christian, and and just life happened. And you find that you've walked away from the Lord. You're separated, maybe even divorced. Friend, I got such good news for you today. Jesus loves you. I know that sounds a little trite because it's been overused by people who didn't mean it. But the truth of the matter is, he loved you so much that he paid it forward. He died for you when, he, when you weren't even alive. He, he paid for every one of our sins. There's an account with your name on it. It's already been paid for. You say, well, how do I access that account? I need that. I'm glad you asked. The Bible says, if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to perform for his mercy and his grace. You don't have to give money to the church to be a Christian. The Bible says it like this. Just confess. Believe it in your heart that he's the Christ. Allow him to be the Lord of your life is what the Bible teaches us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. This is a very private and deep decision. It needs to be super, super important to you. And maybe you're away from God. This could be that moment that you respond. Don't push him away in this moment. I've met so many people that they felt God tugging at their heart, but they were a little scared and they walked away and they didn't respond. Don't do that. This is your moment. If you're away from God, if you feel like if you were to die today, you wouldn't go to heaven. This is your moment. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to try to embarrass you or point you out. You need that moment or you respond to Christ, and this is it. And here in a second, I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're ready to be a Christian, and what I want you to do here in just a second is I'm going to want you to lift your hands and acknowledge that to yourself, to the Lord. It's like this step, taking this step, admitting, being honest. I need help. It's time to change. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you quickly just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I won't call you for I'm just going to pray for you right where you're at. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for being real. Anybody else? I need help. It's time. I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Thank you. You can put your hands back down. I saw it. Anybody else? Make sure you wave it. Make sure I see it. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. Is there anyone else? Just a couple more seconds. Anyone? Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. Asking Jesus to come into your life. I don't think there's anything magical about these words we're about to pray. I think what's supernatural is that you responded to God. You felt him tugging at your heart. and You said yes, and you lifted your hand. The words that we're about to pray are just, it's the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. It's a commitment to, yes, I love Jesus, and I want him in my life. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this out loud with you. 
And we're going to ask Jesus to come into our lives right now. Would you pray it like this? Say, Jesus, today I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I admit I've lived for myself. But today I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. I welcome you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. And I declare here and now, Jesus is my Lord. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for men and women who just said that prayer maybe for the first time. Maybe coming back to you and said it multiple times before, but this moment was a moment of reality. Lord, I pray right now they would sense your forgiveness. They would sense the peace that surpasses all understanding. That they would be clothed with the joy of their salvation. Lord God, in this moment, they would know that they know that they're right. And when the lies come later today, the thoughts of the mind, well, you didn't really mean that. You're going to go back to your old way of doing stuff anyway. That Lord God, that they would in that moment, all of a sudden hear your whisper, no, your mind. I'll give you strength to overcome those temptations. And Lord, when they mess up and fail and they look around and go, see, it didn't work, Lord, that they'll realize and remember that life is a journey. And that, Lord God, that you're not mad at them because they tripped up. Just the opposite. When they call on you, you come and you pick us up and you carry us through every trial and tribulation and temptation and sinful act because we are yours. We are your sons and daughters. And just by praying that prayer, you accepted them as your son. You accepted them as your daughter. And you fight for what is yours, Jesus. And I thank you that no devil in hell can steal them. And that, Lord, they'll be strengthened all their days. In Jesus' name.